Mac Power Users, Episode 49, Mac Maintenance. Hello, everybody. This is David Sparks, back with the Mac Power Users, along with Katie Floyd. Hello, Katie. Hey, David. Great to Did get you- back into the groove again. Oh man, I'm I'm excited. I love getting here and talking about Mac stuff. The um, did you know that this is two years now that you and I have been doing this show? Cinco de Mayo, I think, is but it was our two year anniversary in two thousand and nine. Yeah, close enough. Who would have guessed, right? I know. Oh my gosh, how far we've come in two years, and and a lot of people who have helped us out along the way. So, uh, big thank you to to everybody and our sponsors and all the folks at MacWorld. I mean, can you imagine that? Gosh, you'd be into two books, and we would have been on the floor of Macworld and been Merlin Mann twice, and then all these workflow guests and all of these great sponsors and people who would have been with us. Wow. I, I just remember you and me sitting, um, uh, walking through the Macworld floor, and you said, you're going to stick with me for a year, right? <laughs> <laughs> right? You said, okay. Because I was hesitant you know, to do a, yeah. a podcast. I felt like there were already so many. But you said, you got, if you're L- gonna Let's just do it, it for a year. Yeah. And see where we go. <laughs> We're not stopping. We got three digits in our show numbers, right? So this is sh- uh, show 49, and we plan to fill up those three digits. So, you know, we'll, we'll now talk I'm about won- it when we get to 999. I'm wondering if I should have put in two leading zeros. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll have to add one someday. But anyway, mm-hmm. it's been such a joy, and, uh, and congratulations uh, to you. Same to you. Thank you All very right. much. It's been a great ride, and thank you to our listeners. Yes, thank you. Uh, so let's get started uh, talking about Mac maintenance. Um, you know, the first question is, you know, do you need it? Nope. All right, folks, show's over. Goodbye. All right. All right. See you at episode 50. Oh, they probably want more than that, don't they? Yeah, I think so. Okay. It's funny. Uh, a lot of people, especially switchers, um, come to the Mac, and they bring the PC mindset. And that shows itself in several ways. First of all, there's this unconscious need to uh, defrag. There must be like a, a clinical name for that, you know. You have to Pre- on the PC. Defragatopia or something. Like every week you start getting the jitters if you haven't defragged your computer. Um, they have to, you know, constantly run, you know, SpyBot and all the other different things to get rid of all the viruses and other problems. You do? And then... About every six months, if you own a PC, you feel this unconscious need to um, to just wipe the drive down to zero. You know, just nuke it and pave it and start over again because that's probably the fastest way to make it run again. Right. In fact, I think there should be a name for that for PC people. And and please uh, submit some comments with some good names <laughs> because I think that 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 deserves a name. So anyway, so you come over to the Mac and you feel this need to do all this stuff. <laughs> And I know I did because you know I used Macs way back in the day. Then I had to go to PCs, and then when I got back to Mac, man, I could not, I could not figure out, you know, what am I going to do? You know, how often do I need to defrag and do all this stuff? And uh, over the years, my attitude has kind of changed, where I, I don't do hardly any maintenance anymore. I just run the run the computer. Right, but this isn't. We're going to talk about the kinds of maintenance you can do. So we actually will have topics for a show, right? Yeah, no, totally. And there is some good stuff to do. But I mean, I just think it's funny, uh, just in general, the question of maintenance on a Mac. I think one of the questions is, you know, how much of it do you do and do you really need it? I mean, I think sometimes, uh, and you, you and I have both seen this from readers and listeners writing in, where they get themselves in trouble 
they take a, a perfectly working machine and they, they do something to make it no longer work in the name of maintenance. One of my uh, good friends is an Apple Store employee, and I won't name names, but if you're listening, you know who you are, and uh, was telling me a story about um, how someone was coming into the Apple Store, and you know how Mac users and Apple Store give other Mac users you know, unsolicited advice a lot of the times. I, I know I certainly do, and was saying, oh, well, I'm having this issue, and oh, well, have you tried this? Have you tried you know, repairing your disk permissions or this or this or this? And, and you know, come up to the guy the next time in the Apple Store, yeah, that really solved my problem, repairing the disk permissions. Well, the guy comes back in um, you know, a little while later and, and is having issues. And he's like, I, I repair my permissions all the time. I do it like four times a day, and I don't understand why I'm having all these problems with my Mac. Yeah, well, that's great. <laughs> you know, I mean, well, and, and that's kind of the thing I'd like to talk about in this episode is that we're going to mention a lot of things that you can do in the realm of maintenance. But I think two things to take away from is, number one, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And number two, more is not necessarily better. Just because it's good to occasionally do something or to occasionally run this maintenance doesn't mean that if doing it once a month is good, that doing it once a day is better. That's not what this means at all. Yeah. So. Okay. So now that we've convinced everyone they don't need to do any maintenance, let's talk about Mac maintenance. Okay. All right. So- First and foremost, you know, I think the best thing you can do for Mac maintenance is restart your computer and shut down your computer every once in a while. Yeah, it seems like there's a uh, a thing, a point of pride for some users that are like always saying, "Well, I've had my Mac running for you know 58 days." In fact, there's plugins so you can put on your desktop with Geek Tool or some of these other things uh, showing how long your system's been up, and it's like a point of pride. You know, just restart the bloody thing once in a while. It doesn't really hurt, right? Cleans things out, kind of makes it work better. No, and if if you've got, especially if you've got one of these SSD drives, you know, restarting used to be a little bit of a pain, but now it's like, okay, whatever, let me take 14 seconds to do that. Yeah, well, you've got the MacBook Air. It's crazy how fast that thing reboots. Right. Yeah, my iMac's a little bit uh, more of an issue when I restart it. I'm, I'm down for four or five minutes, but same thing, you know, what's the big deal? Just restart it. But more often than not, I find a lot of times if, you know, I'm having a little slowness or I'm having an issue with something... You know, just simply restarting the machine or sometimes taking it all the way down and shutting it down and then bringing it all the way back up and bringing it, you know, back to life again, uh, more often than not, we'll, we'll kick the problem. Um, I, you know, there's this constant, constant battle of do you sleep your computer at night? Do you turn it down? You know, do you do this or do you do that? And, you know, my thing is I, I typically sleep my computer during the day. And, you know, I'll sleep it at night if it's, you know, let it go to sleep at night if it's doing something or if I feel the need that, you know, I need to do something with it. But at a minimum, I'm always going to restart my computer every couple of days or turn it off if I'm not going to be using it for several hours. You know, my my rule of thumb is if I'm not going to be using my computer for the rest of the day, you know, I'm leaving for work and I know I'm not going to use it for six, seven, eight hours, I turn it off. Um, you know, if I'm in and out and I'm going to be using it every couple of hours – no, I'll put it to sleep and bring it back up again. But no matter what, I'm always going to shut it down or restart it at least every couple of nights. I'm not as religious about that as you are. I restart probably once a week, but generally I just shut the lid and throw my laptop back in my bag. I mean, it's part of the joy of owning a Mac is you just open the lid and go. But at the same time, I don't believe that you make a point of keeping the thing running as long as you can. Uh, it's really a basic troubleshooting technique. If there's something that's getting slow or the caches are getting run out, you just restart it and you're good to go. Um, That's probably the easiest bit of maintenance you can do. 
Yeah, I tend to agree. So uh, Mac OS X, especially in the more recent versions of Mac OS X, does a lot of its own maintenance for you. Yeah, and you're talking about these scripts. They've got the daily, the weekly, and the monthly scripts. Yeah, Correct. That, that's an interesting thing. It, so, uh, so Mac OS X runs these scripts, and uh, there's three of them, and they do basic uh, cleaning and maintenance on your machine. Uh, there's one that runs every day, one that runs every week, and one that runs every month. And for a long time, there was a lot of dispute and uh, controversy over when those scripts ran and even if they did run or not. And it seems like they've sorted that out with the more recent releases of Mac OS X. I mean, it used to be that there were apps you would download to, to manually force those scripts to run because it seemed like they didn't run if you had a laptop and you closed it. Uh, I think it was originally planned that it would run at 2 a.m. every day, but if your machine wasn't on at 2 a.m., does the machine know enough to run them the next time you turn it on? Mm-hmm. And uh, it's been my experience. That stuff has largely been fixed. Yeah, right now these tasks are scheduled to run between 3.15 and 5.30 on your computer's local time. Um, you can actually, there's a whole developer note in these and in, in developer.apple.com. But here's the beauty with the most recent versions of OS X, as you said, if these tasks don't run it, because your computer is shut down or in sleep mode, then um, they'll, they'll automatically run the next time your computer wakes up in version 10.6. Now in version 10.5 and earlier, they do not. Yeah. And there's a, there's actually a log, I think it's called the VAR log, and I'll I'll try and find a post that talks about it somewhere and link it in the show notes, where you can go and you can check the dates on the scripts because they update every time they run, and you can see if it's been running or not for you. But no. um, it, it just been it seems to me like it's not as big of a deal as it used to be. Everybody used to always worry about whether those scripts are running, and now I think everybody just kind of takes it for granted that they do. And those are scripts that do a variety of, of cleaning and, and other basic maintenance tasks on your Mac that you don't need to worry about. Right. Now, before we get too much into the types of maintenance that you should be running on your Mac, assuming your Mac's not doing it automatically for you, how do you know when you need to do this kind of stuff? What kind of feedback am I getting from my Mac that says, okay, maybe I need to do something? Because as I mentioned earlier in the show, if everything's running smooth, Really, you need to kind of take a hands-off approach. Yeah, agreed. I mean, let let things run. Right. Um, so obviously, you know, you're getting some kind of feedback that things aren't going right from your Mac. You're getting spinning beach balls. You're getting application, you know, crashes. Um, you know, you're getting something is going wrong. So um, what types of things can you do to say, okay, is this hardware, is this software, or should I be running some kind of maintenance script? Yeah, and that starts, for me, with the console. Okay. Um, you know, the console is something that a lot of people aren't aware of, but everybody who's uh, who's listening to this show really should be. It's a, it's a, it's a um, and I don't want to get the terminology wrong, but basically your Mac tracks everything that happens, every hardware and software control and action. And if you open the console, and you can do that from uh, the uh the Finder, or you can do it from Spotlight or LaunchBar. Uh, the console just just throws data in there every time something happens, every time it accesses a drive, every time it gets a command from an application. And I'm sure I'm screwing this up, but basically it gives you kind of a running log of what's going on. And when things start going weird, opening the console often will tell you that there's an error or some kind of message in there. And that gives you a lot of tips about, you know, what the pesky app is or what the problem could be. So uh, I love the console. Go in there all the time. Check it out whenever there's a problem. 
Right. It's not completely human readable. I mean, you've got to kind of understand all this stuff, but it gives you error codes and all sorts of things, which leads to the next step. Right. Um, the other thing that I like is, you know, Google is your friend, and the more information you can give Google, the better. So if you're constantly seeing the same message come up in console that you're not quite sure whether it should be there or not, usually if you just copy and paste the string, I almost always get some kind of result from Google that explains to me what's going yeah, on. Yeah, and, and use quotes, too. That helps. So Right, so, so you're getting the exact message. Yeah, so you take the message out of console. Put it and close it in quotes and throw it into Google, and you're probably going to find out. You know, somebody else has had this problem and posted about it somewhere. Right. And even if you can't find the exact message in console or you're not quite sure what's going on, just do a Google search or Bing or Yahoo or whatever your search engine of choice is, being as specific as possible. And you'll be surprised what you come up with. You know, I had an issue recently where no matter what I did, couldn't get to clear up, where iTunes would crash about every third time that I launched it and couldn't seem to find a rhyme or reason. And sure enough, it wasn't anything that I had done. It was a bug with an Apple update that was very specific to the 13-inch MacBook Air, to the specific version of iTunes I had, and the specific version of the operating system I had. And, you know, I there were a couple of suggested solutions in the Apple forums, but I just had to wait for Apple to issue a fix. Yes. And then the last thing you want to look at is, you know, what have you done recently on this computer? If suddenly that's almost always the culprit. Yeah. So if you've installed some new app or changed some settings somewhere, uh, you may find that you, you uh, mistakenly screwed something up and check the activity monitor. See what's running. That's not normally running. Check your startup items and see if there's anything that's been added in there that, that may be running in the background that you didn't realize is starting up now. Yeah. We're going to do a show one of these days on our, our menu bars and, and our toolbars and the other things we're using. But I think, you know, it's worth mentioning now, you know, the, um, the MyStat app or the iStat uh, menu app. Or menu meters. Yeah. Or, or one of those apps. There's a bunch of them that will show you what your CPU is up to. And it's not a bad idea to keep an eye on that. I'm not sure if that qualifies as maintenance or troubleshooting, but uh, if things act funny, it's a good idea to check out your CPU and see what it's doing. Right. Okay, well, we kind of talked in general about, you know, when we know there we need to do maintenance. And next I'd like to talk about, you know, specific troubleshooting. But before I do, let's talk about our first sponsor. Our first sponsor are our friends over at Smile. They are makers of the excellent product, Text Expander, which is the app that really just keeps on giving. Uh, text Expander allows you to very quickly expand snippets of text into much longer snippets. So you can type in with a few quick keystrokes, and it will expand into much longer chunks of text or blocks of text or whatever you want to do. Uh, I use Text Expander in my daily life for all kinds of things, from HTML code to uh, blog posts to email signatures um, to forms for legal documents that I use. Uh, and especially with the new version of Text Expander, uh, they now have the ability to do fill-in forms, uh, which makes it a lot more versatile. Yeah, and there's there's other text expansion apps out there, but Text Expander is really the best. And the reason why is it's actively developed. They really, you know, they really put their hearts and souls into it, and they had all kinds of great features like shell scripts and Apple scripts. And there's just things you can do in this that you can't do in any competing product. Uh, another thing I use it for is my Markdown snippets which is on iOS kind of difficult, you know, getting to some of the symbols you need for Markdown. You've got to tap to tap through two or three keyboards, whereas using a text expander touch snippet on the uh, iOS, you can activate it immediately. 
I also really like the text expander will tell you exactly how much time and effort it saved you because if you go into the little statistics panel, it will tell you exactly how many snippets it's expanded and how many hours you've saved. Um, this is a fairly new installation of text expander for me, but I have saved 7.85 hours, assuming I type at 80 words per yeah, minute. that's a whole day. You can yeah. go to the beach with that time. I know. I'm going to the but, beach. That's a good idea. All right. Well, thank you, Smile, for supporting the Mac Power users, and I encourage everyone to head over there to, uh, what is it now, smilesoftware.com. Smilesoftware.com, or they're in the Mac App Store. Exactly, and check out Text Expander. Okay, so troubleshooting. What's the, the most basic troubleshooting everybody should do? Up- software updates. Exactly. So update your software. It's kind of funny, my niece... Uh, she's a teacher, and she uh, she's really into her Mac. And every time I see her, her software. This her is Mac- the niece with the magnets. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the one who taught the kids about magnets and and wiped her hard drive on the same day. Uh, but every right. time I see her, she brings her Mac for the checkup, right? And it's always got all the software updates. And I finally said, "Well, how often do you run those?" She says, "Well, I run them every time I come to see you." <laughs> You don't have to wait to see a friend that knows a lot about this stuff. Just every once in a while, run those software updates. In fact, sometimes your Mac even tells you when you need the update. Yeah, it's kind of like me. Every every uh, weekend or so when I go over to my parents' house, I, I run their software updates. Yeah. I mean, waiting until you know you have to go to someone to fix it to run the updates, kind of like waiting until you go to the dentist to brush your teeth. You know, Just, just run the updates. Take care of you. Yeah. Especially the security stuff. I mean, you want to get those security updates as soon as possible. See, but the problem is, is there are a couple of different places where you can get updates for your software. I mean, obviously, the critical Apple software updates are going to come down uh, through the Apple software updater. Yeah, and to get to that. And if you haven't already, you should set that to update automatically on some regular basis. You know, that, or at least to check for updates automatically. There's a question about that, though, really. Um, do you want okay. to automatically run updates? For instance, when they have a point release for your operating system, you know, Snow Leopard, you know comes out in the new point release sometimes things don't work out so well when they have those new releases and sometimes it's a good idea to wait a couple days just to make sure that somebody else is the canary in the cage um, but the the security ones absolutely run it uh, immediately but I'm not sure I would uh, say update everything automatically as soon as it comes down because you just don't know well I don't I think I might have said that wrong I don't have Apple automatically apply the updates I think that's an option to have them automatically download and install them for you but I do have it automatically checked so I'm at least aware of the update yeah well that makes sense that makes sense and I, I really believe you install the security updates as soon as they they're there although sometimes that's kind of a, a question because the security update may be combined with a, a larger update for the OS usually they yeah. are and so in those cases, the smart thing to do would be to wait a couple days. What I usually end up doing is downloading and installing it immediately because I can't help myself. Well, and you always want to have a backup before you do a software update. Yeah, especially a major update. But hopefully you're doing your backups regularly, so you got those anyway. And we did a whole show on backups, so check that out. We did a couple of shows That's on right, backups. That's right, we did. That's right. Um, the other place you can find backups, and I think we're going to find this more and more frequently, is the Mac App Store. You know, I don't like icons in my dock, so I don't keep that thing in my dock. So I don't always go check there as often as I should. I really, I wish they would just roll that into software update or something. I don't know. I, I don't know if it fits there. I think the way they're doing it is fine because you don't always have all those apps downloaded. But can I just say I really like the Mac App Store. I'm, I do too. I just, I just, I wish. 
Go ahead. I just like the way you're getting all these small software developers finally have a business model where they can make money. They can make a, a really nice, useful, small application, sell it for $5. And there's an easy way to get it, an easy way to keep it updated. Yeah. I'm, it's it's very user-friendly. I just wish there was some kind of crossover mechanism to get all the software that is available in the Mac App Store currently um, you know, available in the Mac, you know, that I've bought outside the Mac app store to have that somehow link up. I don't think that's going to happen. I, I just think, I don't oh, think that's going to happen yeah, over time as they come out with new versions, they'll, people will start putting it, you know, just on the Mac app store. You'll go buy it there. But yeah, but right. I, so it'll take I kind of jumped off the point though. So you can load the app Mac yeah. app store and there's an update button and you check that mm-hmm. and you can update whichever software is, is out of date. Mm-hmm. Um, I also use an additional third-party utility that I have found really helpful. Um, I've had some people who love it and some people who hate it. And it's a free utility from CNET called CNET Tech Tracker. Um, CNET took over the old version tracker, and this is kind of what came out of it. But it will scan your system on a regular basis. I've got it set to do it uh, weekly. You can also do it every four hours daily, weekly, or monthly. Um and it will tell you um, what software updates are available for all of your third-party items. And I tend to find that there are a couple that you know that I've missed that either haven't updated themselves or, um, for whatever reason, I haven't known have had updates. And you know, so I need to go get those. And um, that's good to know. I, I hate it. You hate it. Why yeah, do you yeah, hate you, it? You, t- you talked about it on a, I think a roundtable episode once or something, and I went and downloaded it and. To this day, they spam me with email every time there's an update to some oh, software. That's kind of problematic. But you can go in and adjust your email settings, and once you do that, they respect your oh, privacy. I've done it like three times, and I don't know what what's not sticking because I'm still getting tons of it. But huh. And then, you know, when you load an app, most apps will check, you know, phone home to see if they need an update. So if it's something you're running regularly, you'll know it needs an update because it'll tell you. But I'm not sure I'm a fan of the CNET tech tracker, but, you know. To each his own. Right. Oh, and let's talk about repairing permissions. <laughs> okay. When do you repair disk permissions? I repair them uh, immediately before installing, installing a point update on my operating system, and that's about it. How about yourself? Okay. Um, I maybe do it a little more often than that, but I don't do it all the time. Um, I probably do it after installing software. And this is kind of a historical thing with Mac OS X. At the beginning, they were having trouble with permissions, and permissions is, um, you know, telling the system what is where. And I think originally with Mac OS X, that was an issue, so people needed to do it pretty often, and they got in the habit of doing it often, and some people still do it very often. You know, um, Carbon Copy, I'm sorry, not Carbon Copy Cloner, uh, Super Duper has an option that it will repair disk permissions for you every time it goes to do a backup. And I used to have that box checked um, for it to do permissions. That way I knew I'd get a repair permissions done every time I did a backup. But yet I realized then I was repairing permissions every day as I was doing backups, and I felt, you know, that's probably a little excessive. Yeah, I don't think it really hurts your computer. It's not one of those things where you can damage it doing that, but I'm not sure it's really necessary either. In fact, I'm pretty sure it's not that necessary. Um, but I have had repair permissions um, fix up some wonkiness, though. Yeah, I agreed. 
And uh, I, I didn't talk about how to do it. So to repair permissions go into, the, I think, one of the easiest ways, absent some of the third-party software we're about to talk about, is just to go into Disk Utility. And there's a button in there to check permissions and then repair permissions. And, you know, I have never found a need to ever check permissions. Would you ever go in and check permissions and not repair them? You know, maybe it's just me and I'm not that smart, but I always check them first and then repair them. Hmm. I don't think I've ever checked. I think I've always just repaired. Okay. Well, maybe I'm wasting time. Um, The other thing you can do, you know, one of my old favorites, um, do you remember zapping the PRAM? Yeah, that was the the panacea for all sins on your Mac. It yeah, used to be that zapping the PRAM and rebuilding the desktop would, would fix anything. Yeah. It's another one where it's kind um, of fallen by the wayside. Uh, to do this, though, um, you hold down the Apple option and the PR key, or the command option uh, PR key. There's no Apple key anymore. Command option PR as your Mac starts up. And then the number of times you hold the salt down you know, is a little bit of voodoo. I've always said five. Okay. <laughs> I can't remember five. Five's the magic. I can't number. remember the last time I zapped the PRAM on a Mac. It's probably not been in the last year. Okay. I've 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 had it work to to clear out some um, some cruft. I think with USB or FireWire issues um, or that type of thing. Uh, one thing to note is that if you have a, a Bluetooth keyboard and you're zapping the PRAM with that, usually after about the second PRAM zap, your Bluetooth keyboard will momentarily lose contact so you won't be able to do it more than twice i didn't know that so yeah something better to do with a wired keyboard okay yeah but i I know they still do that as a maintenance uh step at the apple store if you bring it in absolutely the other thing i've done is uh, i've reset and depending on what type of mac you have it may be called the power management unit or the system management unit or the system controller unit, the PMU or the SMU. Yeah. Are you familiar yeah. with that? Um, that tends to take care of, of, of power-related issues. If you're having battery issues or um, uh, you know your clock's resetting type issues or things like that. Um, the procedure for that is a little different depending on the type of Mac that you have. It's a little different for every type of Mac. Um, usually it involves unplugging... Um, all the peripherals and holding down the power key, but if you know it's different for desktops versus laptops. So, um, uh, or s- some so, uh, you might want to check Apple's website for the specific instructions on how to do that on your machine. Yeah, and you can repair the disc. You can repair the disc. You can now um, check the disc from inside Disk Utility. That was a, a new update that they did with I think a previous version of ten point five. Yeah. Um, you can check the active disk, but I don't think you can repair the disk while you're still booted from it. Yeah, and to, so to repair your disk uh, using the disk utility or, or the, the Mac tools, there's some other ways that we'll talk about later with some of the third-party apps. Uh, but to do it with the basic Mac, you want to install your install DVD or install thumbstick if you're using a MacBook Air and boot from that. So you boot from the external DVD and then you open Disk Utility, and it gives you access to uh, repairing the disk uh, that includes your internal drive. Right. Now, one thing to note is you generally don't want to repair. You always, you always need to put in that external DVD or thumbstick um, to repair the disk, but you do not want to repair permissions from that 
original media because the permissions have changed since you've done that original software install. Yeah. So. It never even occurred to me to do that, but I could see how you could get yourself in trouble. Well, you could be sitting there going, oh, okay, I've just repaired my disk. Let me repair my permissions now for good measure. Yeah. yeah. So. Okay, so defrag is interesting because on Windows, for so long, everybody thought they had to do it often, and frankly, you did. Uh, and I've never felt a, a burning desire to defrag a Mac. Uh, I've tried it in the past. In fact, there's some software out there for it, and at one point I wrote a review or something up at Mac Sparky about it. I did defrag a Mac and did some testing, and I couldn't tell any difference. But there was a possibility that if you ran your disk near capacity and had a lot of large media files, that defragging you know, beyond whatever Mac OS X does automatically could could give you some benefit. But I think it's also becoming less important as we all switch over to SSD drives because that's the last thing you want to do is rewrite all the data on your SSD drive. Yeah, in fact, it's recommended that you do not defrag an SSD drive, first off, because you're not going to see a performance increase from defragging it, and secondly, because SSD drives do have a finite number of reads and writes, and if you go about defragging it all the time, you're just using it. You're shortening the life. Right. Um, But we should talk a little bit about what defragging does, or what what fragmentation is, and then what defragging does. I I once uh, explained it to someone like a novel. You know, if you've got a book and you're telling a story and you say, once upon a time there was a, go to page 42, and then you go to page 42, you know, a pretty little kitten who liked to play with, go to page 12. You know, and the whole point is you're jumping around the whole book to get through one paragraph. And that's what happens on your hard drive is you have data files and the computer just writes the data wherever there's available space and it doesn't insist that it all be put in one linear order. So you'll have chunks of the file split all over the drive and every time the drive has to jump around, the drive head has to lift off somewhere and go find a new place. And that that access time of jumping between all these different places slows your system down, especially your hard drive access, because the hard drive is having to do a lot of work just to get a simple file. And the the point of defragging is to take all those bits, put them into memory, and then rewrite them to the drive as one file in one straight order so the drive head doesn't have to jump around so much. Right. Now, there are some times when defragging is useful and even necessary, and that really comes into play when you're trying to partition a drive. Um, if you have a lot of fragmentation on a drive and, you know, you say, oh, well, I, I can partition this drive because I have so much free space or I have X amount of free space on this drive, partitioning it is no problem. But in order to partition a drive, you have to have all that free space being continuous so that you can partition that drive. And I've had cases back when I was installing boot camp or back when I was trying to partition an external drive for whatever reason where it would not let me repartition a drive because the drive even though perhaps it wasn't horribly fragmented, but it was fragmented enough that the free space that I was trying to partition was not continuous enough um, to allow the partitioning. So I had had to defrag the drive, you know, to allow me to partition it. Okay, so what did you use for I've that? Ru- I've run into that. I've run into that a couple of times uh, when trying to install Boot Camp. So what did you use to defrag? Um, at the time I did it, I think I used um, Drive Genius. Okay. And Drive Genius is uh, published uh, by ProSoft, and they're a long-time right. uh, you know, Mac maintenance application maker. They've got several products. 
And Drive Genius mm-hmm. is an interesting a- a- app. I mean, it's got a lot of tools built in. Yeah, in fact, we'll talk about that a little more in our tools section. Yeah, we got that later in the outline, but yeah, that'll do it. So, so there is a, a case made for defragging, but if you're you know on the cutting edge here and you get your SSD, just forget about it. Don't yeah. do it. And Mac OS X, you know, does some defragmentation automatically on the f- on the fly. Yeah. Another thing that sometimes gets into trouble is the Spotlight Index, and uh, you might want to rebuild that. Right. Is there an easy way to do that? Um, I know you can do it with some of these tools that we're going to talk about. I've always had kind of a cheat method of doing it, but I think you can do it in the preference pane. Let me look real quick. The way that I've always done it within the preference pane, um, and there may be a better way, is I've just excluded the hard drive and then unexcluded. Yeah, started over. I think that's the the way. I guess the easiest way to do it is use some of these tools we're about to cover. Right. And the spotlight index is your computer's knowledge of where everything fits. So when you hit the spotlight, everything works. If you look at your spotlight icon in the upper right corner of your Mac, sometimes you'll see a little uh, dot in the middle of the magnifying glass. And that just symbolizes that it's indexing. Yeah, and if it's doing that for hours and hours, and you don't know a good reason why it should be taking that long, then you want to check your spotlight settings. It's indexing something new or redoing something. Yeah, and you will notice a performance decrease while spotlight is indexing. Um, in fact, a lot of times if you do a, a fresh nuke and pave of a computer, um, you know, you expect it to be very fast and you'll notice for the first hour or so, maybe not quite an hour, it's slower than you would think it would be. And that's that's because Spotlight's rebuilding its yeah. index. And if you see that, so. that dot in the magnifying glass sometimes, that's a cue just to like let it work for a while, come back later. Right. Right. But it should not be doing it all the time. Yes. Um, the last thing... Um, that I do just as, as part of my general routine, you know, perhaps not maintenance, but just good practice, um, is, um, I clean out the cruft from time to time. And that is, you know, in OS 10 installing and uninstalling applications is very easy. You pretty much drag an application to the application folder and you pull an application out of the application folder and throw it into the trash to get rid of it. But unfortunately, sometimes that doesn't get rid of everything. Sometimes there are pieces lingering around. There are, <clears throat> there are a bunch of programs that will will help you out with that um, app zapper or app delete or things like that. But the program that I've used, just because I use it for so many other things, is yeah, Hazel does a great job of cleaning the trash. And I think you know this is one of the things where Windows does a better job than Mac OS X. I mean, the installation process for Windows puts the software where it belongs, and a lot of or most of the apps on Windows, in my experience, have their own uninstaller built in at the same uh, control panel. Uh, right. Whereas with the Mac, you know, says, well, it's really easy. You just drag it to the trash, but then it leaves stuff. And, you know, that, I don't know if that stuff gets in the way or not. Probably most of the time it doesn't, but the few times it does, you're going to wish it wasn't there. Right. All right. Well, let's talk about some of those, those tools that we use to get our Mac maintenance done. But before we do that, let's talk about our second sponsor, 1Password. Yes, 1Password is the uh, premier password management tool for all platforms, in my opinion. 1Password to rule them all. Uh, it creates strong, unique passwords right in the app. It works on the Mac, PC, iPhone, iPad, whatever you're doing, right? It syncs through Dropbox. So you've got... Windows. What? Oh, you said PC. Yep. Yeah. And, and it syncs through Dropbox, so it's everywhere you need it. Uh, 
Um, it autofills the password, so it allows you to avoid some of these phishing scams. It's just, you know, once you start using 1Password, you're not going to go back. We have so many people that write us and say, hey, you know, we finally, you know, finally sunk in. I went and started, and I can't believe it took me this long to start using 1Password. It's a great application. Uh, you can get it for your Mac for $40 or a family license for 70 So if you've got a bunch of people in your household, uh, get your password situations figured out. Um, there's an iOS hybrid version for $15 and an iPhone or uh, just an iPad only versions for $10. But uh, I really can't recommend enough that you just go out and get this app. Right. And one thing I do want to plug for 1Password is they are fairly active in their blog. They've got a blog at blog.agile.ws. And if you're interested in some of the inner workings of 1Password, specifically there's been a lot of discussion recently about security, security of Dropbox, and how secure is all of my data? Um, they answer a lot of those questions in in detail on their blog. So you may want to take a look at some of those things. Uh, and if you're curious about how One Password works and exactly how secure your data is, a lot of those questions are answered there. Well, I mean, these guys take it real seriously, and uh, I I just think One Password is a godsend uh, for me. Before I used it. I had two or three passwords I was using for a lot of multiple sites, which was very unsecure. And 1Password made it really easy to use passwords the way you're supposed to. You can find more information about 1Password at onepassword.com, and we thank them for their sponsorship of the show. All right. Now let's talk about some maintenance and repair tools. All right. Before we do this, though, I have to give my general disclaimer, and that is... These I, Well, I have a couple of disclaimers, and one is don't go clicky-happy with these tools. If you're not real sure what you're doing in these tools, you can cause damage. Yeah, and I think that's a, that's a risk for Mac if users. If you become uncomfortable, step away. Yeah, that's a risk for Mac users because we're used to just being fearless with our apps and clicking stuff just to see what happens. But the tools we're about right. to talk to are not the tools to do that with. Yeah. Right. Um, the other warning I want to give is always use the appropriate versions of these apps. These are apps that need to be up to date and need to be appropriate for your version of the operating system. So you need to make sure you're running the correct version of the app for the correct version of your operating system. And I don't know about you, David, but I don't run betas of these apps. No, me either. Yeah. I mean, because so. the, these things are, what do they say, getting to the metal? You know, these are the things that go down and work deep. And some of it is just a basically a pretty shell on Unix commands to do repairs right. on your Mac. But uh, either way, it, you know, pushing the wrong button here can definitely do a lot more harm than good. Right. Uh, so after you've gone through some of the troubleshooting steps that we've talked above, and after you decide that maintenance is appropriate... These are some some tools for your utility belt, okay. I guess. So let's talk first about Onyx. Onyx is one of my favorites, um, just because it's free. It's um, you know it's donationware, and I've installed it um, on pretty much all of my Macs, and then Macs that I that I help support, just so it's there and I can I can use it when necessary. Um, a couple of things that Onyx does that I like from the beginning is before Onyx will let you run. I mean, there are ways to cancel out of it. It will run a, um, a smart check of your hard drive, which is not foolproof, but it will do a quick drive check to see if, you're, if it thinks that your hard drive is okay. Um, and it will also do a disk check, which is the same check that Disk Utility does when you, when you try to check the status of the drive. Because it's trying to do a first check to say, is this really kind of a maintenance issue or do you really have kind of a, a hardware issue here? Because all the maintenance in the world isn't going to resolve a hardware issue. 
Yes. And you certainly don't want to do unneeded maintenance on a, on a hardware issue. And is Onyx your primary tool for running those types of things? Um, I guess, I guess just because it does it all the time, you know, or when I started up, I, you know, probably if I was just going to run a disk check, I would probably do it with disk utility. Yeah. So. I, I like cocktail and, um, cocktail is a paid app. It's, uh, I think it's $15 or uh, $30 for a family one app. And, uh, I like it, you know, I like cocktail too. I'm sorry. I said I like cocktail yeah. too. It's got a much nicer user interface. Yeah, and sometimes you know I I feel like I want to pay for some of this software uh, because, and maybe it's just you know irrational, but I think that paying for something like this, especially something that's doing these kinds of things to my Mac, uh, there's a body behind it. You know, they've received a check. There's kind of a contract between us uh, to avoid being a lawyer here, but you know that they're going <laughs> to do a good job and make this thing work for me, and they're going to continue. To- well, you feel like. Yeah, you feel like you have some expectations. Yeah, they're going to continue to develop it, and, and I have a right to to uh, to talk to them if there's something not working or, or whatever. Sometimes I feel like I'm almost better off paying for some of this stuff, and uh, Cocktail is one of those that I that I bought into, and it does a lot of stuff. I mean, we've talked today a lot about you know basic maintenance and troubleshooting, but Onyx covers. Uh, most of the you know the troubleshooting and maintenance needs you have. I mean, it does the smart checking and and many other things to your hard drive and your disks in terms of checking for what's going on. Well, the tab that I use in Onyx more than anything is the automation tab, which is just a tab that will let you run a lot of these things at once. It will let you repair permission, execute your maintenance script, rebuild your launch services, which you really shouldn't be doing. Um, you know, display folders, contents, you know, rebuild your spotlight index, rebuild mail envelopes index, you know, clean out your cache files and select which ones you want to clean. I mean, you can do all this stuff in one fell swoop. And Cocktail has a lot of those features as well. And and more. Cocktail will do a lot more as well. Yeah. Uh, but uh, anyway, Onyx, I, I'm sorry, um, Cocktail, I find easy to use and has everything I need. And we should probably talk for a minute about caches since now we're kind of getting into that is, you know, what are the caches in your system and why? Um, you know, you've got your system keeps memory of certain things like websites you've visited. That's your web, you know, your browser cache or fonts you've used and that's your font cache. And there's a reason why it builds those files up so it doesn't have to reload them into memory or or find them on your hard drive every time you need them. If something gets corrupt in them, though, then you need to rebuild them. And I find both Onyx and Cocktail provide excellent tools to pull that off. You with me? Right. But, you know, keep in mind that your caches are there for a reason. Your caches are there because it allows you to update or excuse me, it allows you to access frequently used data very quickly. So these aren't things that you want to be cleaning out every, you know. Yeah, that's that's not a maintenance task in my mind. I I don't think I've ever run cache cleaning as maintenance. I've always run it run it when there's a problem. My, my wife Correct. had a problem with text and and she couldn't figure it out. And I said, okay, I just booted up Cocktail, rebuilt the um, the font cache, and everything worked. And that was like eight months ago, and I have not gone and rebuilt the font cache since then. I mean, there's no problem, so why should I? And when you do rebuild caches, you'll notice that the affected applications will run a little slower for a while. Like, uh, you know, Safari is a good example. If you if you blow out those caches for your web browser, uh, it's going to take a while to load pages that used to load faster until it gets those caches rebuilt. 
But the point is that Cocktail, I think, provides a really good way to do that. Uh, they have file tools, network tools. I mean, it, it just does a good job of an overall uh, maintenance tool and getting into your Mac and doing what you need. And it has a lot of warnings in there about, hey, are you sure you want to do this? And, uh, you know, the kind of stuff that will hopefully keep you from being fearless and dangerous to your Mac. Right. The other thing that Cocktail does that I think is, is kind of worth the price of admission is in addition to all of the maintenance kind of stuff, it also gives you access to um, a lot of the under-the-hood settings that you can tweak. You know, for example, you can tweak what format do you want your screen snapshots in? How often do you want Time Machine to run? Is it every 60 minutes by default, or do you want to change that? Um, you know, what do you want the text of your login window to say? Do you want to change that, or do you want to have it do something different? Um, you know, and all kinds of little under-the-hood settings that, that you can change or not change. Um, you know, Cocktail will give you a fairly... Uh, easy graphical user interface to access those items. You know, another app that will do that, and it's not in the outline, but I'll just talk about it, is Secrets. Have you ever seen that one? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I downloaded that after I saw you write it up on Max. Yeah, Party. so Secrets is uh, put out by the same guy who who built Quicksilver, as I understand it. And it's a preference pane, and it's, I think, publicly available for people to update. And I don't know really the details behind it, but the point is it runs a bunch of Unixy type stuff with checkboxes and a preference pane, and it's the same thing. If you want to do, if you want to change the where the dock is on your on your screen or something like that, this is a good place to do it. Not so much maintenance stuff, but I was just thinking about that. Right. Okay. Um, uh, so we've got Onyx covered. We got Cocktail covered. Let's get back to Drive Genius. We were talking about that a little bit earlier. Yeah, I really like Drive Genius. Drive Genius, um, you know, what made me really stop and take a look at Drive Genius is I learned that Drive Genius is the tool that the geniuses use at the Apple Store. And I thought, hmm, well, they, they, I'm sure they use a lot of tools, but, you know, they, they probably know something. So I thought that that's probably a, a fairly good endorsement of Drive Genius. Uh, but Drive Genius will do a number of things. Um, you know, they've got a, a number of different consoles. They've got one for just general information. They've got one for defrag. Um, they've got a console for Drive Slim, which will makes me a little bit nervous, but it will remove um, unused localizations and help you identify duplicate files or unused files or large files. Um, they have a repair functionality that will rebuild volume structures. Um, they have a sector scan. They have a new feature in version 3 called Drive Pulse, which um, will kind of monitor the status of your hard drive and let you know what's going on. Um, they have a drive integrity check. They have an initialize. Uh, they have a repartition feature. They have a drive duplication feature. Um, they have a shred, which is a secure delete. Um, and then they have benchmarking and sector edits. And some of these features you can do yourselves with uh, within Disk Utility um, some you can you can do from within the terminal, and some you can't. So it's a good it's a good tool to have around. Yeah. Although I'd have to say, with respect to Drive Slim, I'm really not a fan of any of these products that try to recover space in your hard drive by removing system files. It just seems to, yeah, they always make me nervous. Well, and and for a reason, I'm sure that you have war stories. I know I do of people who've done that and accidentally remove something. Uh, without even knowing they'd done it and lost hours and hours and hours of productivity while they tried to get the system working again. Right. Backups are key. Um, Drive Genius in particular, what it does is it finds large files. So, for example, it will find files larger than 10 megabytes that haven't been accessed in the last 30 days. 
Um, it will try to find duplicate files and replace them with aliases. Um, it will look for unused localizations. Um, this is the one that makes me nervous. Find applications that contain support for non-Intel processors, so it will try to, to pull out the, the – it will strip the non-Intel code out of universal binaries. Um, and then it will um, delete cache and temporary files that haven't been accessed for 14 days. Yeah. Although I have a lot of faith in ProSoft. They, um, they've made really good products for the Mac, and I know they're, they're pretty smart people. They're at Macworld quite often in the past. I'm not sure if they were there this year or not, but I've spoken with the uh, people from there, and I'm impressed with the work they do. Right. Um, like I said, I've used defrag uh, before, and I've used the repartition feature. I've used those um, not on my SSD drive, but on, on other drives and with external drives. I've never had it lose data for me when I've defragged or repartitioned. I know that that's always possible uh, when you're defragging or repartitioning, but I've I've never I've always used Drive Genius for that type of thing, and I personally have never had it go wrong. Yeah, and a Drive Genius license is a hundred dollars or X ninety nine dollars, and a professional use license uh, for like a service shop is two hundred and fifty. So it's a it's a good tool to have around, at least to have one in the household. Yeah, it's not cheap, but you know if you're the guy or the girl. The girl. You know, and most of the people listening to the show are the guy or the girl that everybody calls when something goes wrong. It doesn't hurt to have that tool. And that kind of leads to the next tool as well. That's the one that you kind of want to have in the toolbox. For years, I have said, all hail Disk Warrior. Um, Disk Warrior fixes, you know, the most common uh, cause for hard drive failure. If you've ever had your Mac start up and you've had that blinking question mark that just stares at you ominously. Um, you know, that can be a bunch of different things. That can be a bad hard drive. That can be a physically damaged hard drive. Um, it can be a number of things. Or it can just be um, directory damage, which is the most common cause, where the hard drive itself isn't bad. It's just the directory has somehow gotten corrupted on that hard drive, and it doesn't really know what to do with the data on that hard yeah, drive. Yeah, so the, so the directory um, is like the table of contents, saying, you know, go to page 22 to hear the story. And... and what drive i'm sorry what disk warrior does is it rebuilds the table of contents and it does it in a way as i understand it is it goes and looks at the book and it finds whatever's on page 24 and it goes and says okay new table of contents entry page 24 is blah 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 and it does that for the whole drive it takes a long time to go through and do this but when it's done you have a a totally rebuilt a directory really from the reverse looking at the actual data and then building the directory off of that and that's as i understand it really the main purpose of disk warrior disk warrior is one of those utilities that does one thing and it does one thing well um a lot of times when you quote lose files um you haven't really lost the files you've just lost them because the directory has been damaged and you've lost the directory entry and it doesn't know where to find them um, so a lot of people think of Disk Warrior as a, a file recovery program, but it really just recovers the information in the directory, and the file was really there the whole time. Um, one of Disk Warrior's claims is that unlike other utilities, and I don't know how other utilities do it, um, that Disk Warrior doesn't patch a damaged directory, it rebuilds the directory. Yeah, all I know is I've had and, people show up with drives that were dead. And we put Disk Warrior on and came back a few hours later and it worked. And I looked like a hero. Yeah. Hey, if it saves you yeah. once. Yeah. Again, this, this may not be something that every Mac user needs a copy of, but it's always good to know somebody who has yeah. one. And it's, um, it's a great troubleshooting tool. I mean, when things start going bad. 
There's other tools. ProSoft makes some other interesting stuff. They make Data Rescue, which is uh, another way to try and recover data from a, a broken drive. And then they've got some some backup and some other products. But uh, I think the ones we've covered here really is a is a pretty good sized toolbox. If you've got Onyx or Cocktail and Disk Warrior and something like Drive Genius, uh, there aren't too many problems that you can't uh, make a lot of progress on by yourself. Right. The other thing is you really also need to, especially with Disk Warrior and Drive Genius, you really need to have boot DVDs or boot USB keys or on, these on a separate hard drive that you can boot from um, because you want to be able to go to these if your computer does not boot. Hey, you know, that's a good point. Uh, when you get a new Mac, it's a good idea to just make a disk image of your install disk and put it on an external hard drive. I think probably best, depending on which Mac you have, a FireWire would be good if you have a FireWire port. And so then you've got your boot drive on an external drive, and it's easy to, to boot right from it. And I learned that from an Apple Store employee. They've got one there that's got, you know, Snow Leopard and Leopard and some of the prior versions of Mac OS X, so they can rebuild a computer from basically any operating system. And then add a, throw a couple of utilities on yeah. there as well. Yeah, and hard drives are cheap, you know build yourself kind of a toolkit hard drive. All right. Uh, well, I thought before we, we head out, we would talk a little bit about our maintenance routines, which I think will be fairly quick. Yeah. Yeah. You first. Okay. Well, my big thing, like I said, is if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, you know, my, my general go-to software is, is what we've always talked about. First things first, you know, restart, shut down. That takes care of most of my problems. Uh, repair disk permissions. And if I really need to get into doing some maintenance, I'll use a tool like Onyx or Cocktail or Drive Genius or the tools that we've talked about. But what I find really keeps me out of trouble more than anything else is pretty much every time, and we've talked about this on the show before, and we'll talk about it again before Snow Leopard comes out. But Lion, yes, before Lion comes out. Every time there's a major OS update, which in Apple's book is about every 18 months to two years or so, I will do pretty much a nuke and pave, a complete erase and restore of my of my Mac and build it back up from scratch. I find that that really you know, cleans out the cruft and, and keeps me going strong. So uh, between that and getting a new Mac every couple of years, you know, I find that probably every 18 months or so I'm I'm starting fresh, and that that tends to be more than enough. Yeah, well, my you, my as I alluded to earlier, my maintenance routine has fallen by the wayside over the years because I don't I haven't really seen a good reason to justify the time I spend on it. It seems like everything just works anyway. So where I used to have tasks for myself to you know clean caches every six months or this or that. I don't do any of that stuff anymore. I just use my Mac. And when something starts to go wrong, I kind of use some of the troubleshooting tools we've talked about here. And, you know, another resource we didn't talk about in the show is, you know, just go to the Apple store. I mean, there's guys, <laughs> I live, I'm fortunate to live by one. They're very nice there. You can make an appointment and let them deal with it. But uh, I don't have many problems with my computer. And as a result, I've, I've just kind of got become a slacker in terms of maintenance. Um, uh, same thing with the major OS releases. Uh, I was like you, uh, and I think it was kind of my PC stuff coming over with me, thinking, "Oh, I have to nuke and pay. I have to start over." But you know, right now, if if theoretically, right now, I was running a beta of another uh, new operating system on my Mac that might be coming out sometime later, I didn't do a nuke and pay. If I would have theoretically just upgraded it with my existing Snow Leopard install and 
and be using it with no trouble. Hmm. Theoretically. Yes. Gotcha. All right. All right. Well, we want to welcome um, our last and final sponsor to New the show. Sponsor. And that is. Yeah. yeah. Great. And that is Objective Development's Launchbar. Yeah, I'm so pleased that we have them as a sponsor because I use their product every day. You know, Launchbar is my launcher of choice since, you know, I've kind of had a parting of the ways with Quicksilver. We even did a show on it a long time ago. Um, uh, but Launchbar is just a great app to, to get things moving on your app in terms of launching applications, getting access to other data on your Mac in terms of your iTunes or your, um, your iCal data. And we'll talk a little bit about what LaunchBar does in, in, in every episode for, for a while out here. But first and foremost, it is a launcher. It does so much more than that. But first and foremost, it is an application, a file, and a launcher for so many other things. And one of the things that's really cool about LaunchBar is it, it it's adaptive and it learns. And it has adaptive abbreviation search technology, which means you can use acronyms or name fragments or pretty much anything you want that is somehow related to the name of a file to open that file. And you can use it in conjunction with their instant open technology as well. Yeah, so with the instant open, you can open an app using the the keyboard combination with no enter key. For instance, if address book, a launch bar for you is A, B, if you just tap A and then hold the B down, it launches launch bar and it takes out that separate keystroke. But your address book abbreviation could also be ADDR or ABO. You know, your address book abbreviation could be whatever you want it to be so long as it's somehow related to the term address book. And usually after launching it once or twice and telling it, LaunchBar will learn from then on out that's your keyboard combination for address book. And it just becomes muscle memory. Yeah, for instance, for me, uh, uh, if I want to look up an image in Google Images, I open LaunchBar and just type GI and Google Images comes up. I do a Google Images search. That's that's hardwired into me at this point. And uh, you'll find that after a while of using LaunchBar, it really becomes painful to sit down at a Mac that doesn't have LaunchBar. A great application and uh, reasonably priced. It's $35, or you can buy a family license for just $60 for the whole family. Um, upgrades starting at $14. And uh, go back and listen to our LaunchBar show if you're interested in it, because it's just a great application. And uh, we thank Objective Development for their support of Mac Power users and look forward to telling you more about LaunchBar in the shows to come. All right. So we've got some feedback. Yeah. Uh, lots of feedback recently about Dropbox security. Yeah, well, we did the show on Dropbox security and then all of a sudden... Well, we did the show on Dropbox. Yeah, well, uh, you're right. We did the show on Dropbox and we talked about security, but all of a sudden uh, Dropbox has lifted the veil a bit and uh, a lot of people don't like what they've heard. Well, you got to trust somebody. Well, I mean, well, they've made some points. Um, you know, I, we received several emails from attorneys because we seem to have a few of them listening. And, uh, you know, they're worried <laughs> about client uh, security. And I don't want to get into too much of that stuff here because I'm not giving advice on being an attorney on this show ever. But good, uh, good. But there is good. some issues there. Uh, for instance, LaunchBar has stated that they will obey. Dropbox. I'm sorry. I'm very sorry. Dropbox has stated that they will listen to any... Uh, a court-ordered subpoena. They'll turn over any documents that are requested by a subpoena. And I'm not really sure that they have much of a choice, to be honest with you. I've issued subpoenas in the past to uh, online companies to get data. So uh, they just made it kind of clear. Anything you put up there, uh, if push comes to shove, they're going to release it. And 
But the bottom line is that that means that somebody at Dropbox has access yes, to it. and that's got a lot of people concerned. And I guess, you know, there were some people that wrote in, I think it was Michael who said, at the end of the day, you know, if, it, if you put it online, it's not secure. And uh, that was a pretty good line. You know, I mean, the fact is, any, any of these online services you use, uh, that is putting your data out there where somebody could potentially get to it. So if it's really that big of a deal to you, then don't put it out there. That's true. But I guess at the end of the day, if it exists, it's probably not yeah. secure. So I don't really know how I feel about it. I've always been careful. I don't put client information into the Dropbox. Um, but... The, uh, but, you know, I think you and I are kind of, you know, edge cases. I mean, for people who are doing stuff that's not so confidential for their work, I don't think it's as big of a deal. Well, and then first and foremost, if you're going to put things in Dropbox related to work and you are not the decision maker or the boss, you need to run it up the flagpole. Because the last thing you want is to be accused of some kind of HIPAA violation or some kind of other, you know, workplace privacy violation because you've done this. So, and that's just good policy, whether it's technology of taking computers home or sharing documents on flash drives or anything else. Um, You know, it's one thing to do stuff with your own data. It's something else to do it with someone yeah. else's. All right. Yeah. Well, I don't think we have all the answers on that, but it is an issue to be aware of. Right. Um, we had a lot of other comments on our Goodreader episode, and you should check out the comments page, um, the comments on that page for that. Um, but a lot of other people were talking in, um, talking about alternative PDF reading apps, and a bunch of people recommended uh, PDF Expert. They liked the UI more than Goodreader, and that was one of the things that, that we mentioned that we weren't thrilled with with Goodreader was the UI. Uh, and apparently PDF Expert also does have annotation, highlight, Dropbox folder sync, and, and things like that. So uh, that might be a solution yeah, as well. Some people like Readle Docs. Um, you know, it's uh, – I don't really know the, the answer. The problem I have or the, the thing that I have is Goodreader just keeps coming out with these great new features. And it's hard not to just use it because they've got so many tools, even though sometimes I'm not happy with the way it looks. But uh, it's it's an interesting space, and I suspect that uh, developers will continue to uh, go through this arms race of features, and uh, things will just get better for us. Right. Uh, we heard from Connor, uh, our friend Connor P., and uh, he had said he had a question that came out of both the Goodreader and Dropbox episodes you know, together. And he says, you know, why do you use Goodreader for Dropbox browsing instead of Dropbox's own application? Um, You know, what does it do or not do that I can't just do with my Dropbox? And a lot of the stuff you can do with Dropbox. You can view the file and you can look at it. But uh, Goodreader and, you know, some of the other PDF applications people are talking about gives you a lot more uh, ability to annotate and do additional work on the PDF files. And that's why I find those useful. And my comment to Connor on this was that there are a lot of things, most of what I have in Goodreader is related to Dropbox, but there are some things that I have in Goodreader that are not related to Dropbox. They were either pulled in from other applications on my iPad or they were downloaded directly from URLs or other FTP servers or things like that. Um, And if I'm getting items from multiple sources in Goodreader, you know, Goodreader is just one place to aggregate it all. So kind of everything in one place. Uh, Dario wrote in on fast user switching, and this goes back to uh, Don Sutherland's, you know, Hazel Dropbox security system uh, mashup. 
and <laughs> they, they just keep coming. Uh, but Dario wanted to let us know that he has his Mac set up to auto log in and then immediately log out using fast user switching upon booting up. And he says this allows applications like Dropbox, Hazel, and or other programs like Undercover, uh, which is an application that can track your Mac if it's lost or stolen, uh, to launch immediately, even if the machine is turned on by a stranger and they log in by a guest account. So this is kind of the best of both worlds. Um, Of course, the obvious problem is if the laptop can't connect to the Internet. Yes. Well, I thought that was interesting, though, and I like the way that grows on itself you know it's fun to see the internet's such an amazing place there's so many smart people listening to our show i'm always impressed yeah um we also heard from michael who was talking about instacast and he made a good point and one i didn't realize that instacast and this is the app where you can download and listen to podcasts wirelessly um also has a send to instant paper tool for the show notes which is kind of awesome you know, where if you're mm-hmm. listening to a show and it's good, you just tap one button and you drop the whole show notes into your Instapaper and then you can kind of process them from there later. And that's a really killer feature for me. I've been now I've been using Instacast more than I've even got that. So I, I like that. Yeah. Uh, and Barbara wrote in and asked me about Goodreader and TiVo. And she said, I think there might be a simpler way for you to get video from your computer to your iPad. And that solution is Air Video. And basically what that would do is that would allow me to stream video from my Mac at home to my um, iPad on the road. And that's an excellent solution. I really do like the Air Video app. But the specific problem that I was trying to solve um, is is to download video on the iPad for, for use of when perhaps you don't have a streaming connection. Because the thing about Air Video is you... You can stream, but you do actually have to have an internet connection to stream, and especially streaming video. Sometimes that doesn't work so well when traveling or if you're going over 3G or hotel Wi-Fi or something like that. So um, I agree. Love the Air Video app. Um, But the idea of my whole Goodreader workaround was something that I could actually download um, the file and then, you know, have it on the plane, on the train, in the automobile, you know, wherever, where I may or may not be connected. All right. Well, thank you everyone for the feedback. Please keep it coming. Uh, we appreciate emails. Uh, we also really like if you have something to add to put it in the show notes, I'm sorry, the comments to the show so everybody else can benefit from it as well. So Katie, how do you contact us? Well, you should visit our website. That's at www.macpowerusers.com. From there, you can find show notes to everything that we talked about in this episode, as well as all of our contact information and all kinds of other goodies. Yes, you can also send us email at feedback at macpowerusers.com, and that comes to both Katie and I. Yeah. We're also on Twitter. You can find us at macpowerusers, or I'm at Katie Floyd. Yes, and I'm at Mac Sparky. And, and David, uh, you're doing Macworld. Yeah, again? It's, it's, it's kind of weird. It's a new thing. It's, uh, it's Macworld Magazine, really, more than the Macworld Conference and Expo, where they're doing a thing where they interview people about books. And I'm going to be up there in San Francisco on May 12th with Jason Snell at 11 a.m. Pacific time. And it'll be, as I understand it, on the Macworld website. And I'm going to put a link in the show notes. And there's also going to put a post up of Max Sparky. Uh, where you can sign up to join this conference. And I'm going to talk about using your Mac at work with Jason Snell, who we had on our show last year. That's very cool. Yeah, and we're going to talk a little bit about what's in the book. And it's also going to have a live question and answer session. So 
uh, you can just type questions in and me and Jason will answer them. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to that on May 12th. So uh, please, my big fear is that nobody's going to show up for it. So if you're a Mac Power User supporter, please uh, stop by to uh, give me some emotional support, if nothing else. So that's 11 a.m. Pacific time on May 12th. Yeah, and that'll be live streaming, and uh, and you can sign up for it ahead of time. I'll get the link in the show notes. Okay. Uh, you can also friend us on Facebook, facebook.com slash users, And we always love iTunes comments if you get a chance to, to throw us a comment up on iTunes. Yeah, it helps, us, that. It helps us find new listeners, uh, and it's very much appreciated. Right. Uh, special thanks to all of our sponsors, Smile, One Password, Omni Group, they're still around, and Launch Bar, uh, welcoming them to the show. We would not be able to do the show without you. Um, and David, what's next? We've got another workflow episode coming up next, and this is going to be a really exciting one. It's going to be with uh, David Wayne, who is a... Uh, He's a well. He's just a movie guy. He's he, he's a writer, director, actor. I remember him from the state. I don't know if you mm-hmm. if you're old enough to remember that show, but it was, I think it was the best sketch comedy show on in the last thirty years. Uh, so I was always a fan of David Wayne's, and then when he wrote me to say that he likes our show, and I found out he's a huge Mac nerd, I started talking to him. And he's in the process of finishing up a new movie that he wrote, and it's a major motion picture. And he's going to talk about how he uses his Apple technology from getting the first idea I'm going to make a movie to the end of post-production and editing and how he uses his Macs and his iPad and his iPhone through that whole process. I spoke with him a little bit this week on the phone and it's just going to be a blast. So I think this is a good one to make sure you catch. Great. Can't wait for it. All right, David. Well, as always, it's been a blast uh, and I'll look forward to talking more with you next time. Okay. Thank you. Thank you.